Hey there, this is Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley. It's a podcast about making things up and making things happen. I love to talk to different types of creative people. And today, I think I have my first cookbook author. I could be wrong about that. Uh, her name is Scotty Jeanette Madden, and she's written a new book called Rec Lass in the Kitchen. Um, R-E-C-K-L-A-S-S. Uh, and... Um, because she's a reckless lass in the kitchen. It's the follow-up to her first book, which is called Getting Back to Me from Girl to Boy to Woman in Just 50 Years. Um, I love that subtitle. Um, so I met uh, uh, Scotty in her home in the, I think we call it the Santa Monica Wilderness. It was cool. We were out in the, in the uh, felt like we were in the country, and it was fun. And she made cookies for me, which is very exciting. She's got a couple of events coming up uh, as part of her book tour. She's in Sonoma Wine Country this weekend, uh, December 14th and 15th, and she will be doing this wonderful um, holiday dinner in Los Angeles on the 21st, and we talk about all of that on the podcast. But before we get to the interview, I want to let you know that You Don't Know My Life, the game I co-created, we're back in stock on Amazon, and we have our lowest price yet for the holidays, limited time only, $29.99, so if you're looking for something uh, to get your secret Santa at the office, your friends, something that brings people together at the holidays, uh, check it out. You don't know my life.com or go to Amazon and just search for you don't know my life game. All right. That's enough plugs here. Without any further ado is Scotty Jeanette Madden. Hey there, coming to you from the edge of the Santa Monica wilderness. Uh, I do feel like I'm in the wilderness with the guest today, Scotty Jeanette Madden, the author of the book, Wreck Lass in the Kitchen. A year of light, laughter, and love, oh, and food. So I love that I'm out here. I feel like I'm in a whole other place. I feel like I've left Los Angeles. That's right. We, we, we have to tell, I have to kill you when you leave because we can't let you tell everybody that we're up here. I know. Otherwise, it's, you know, we'll have everybody up here. I love it, but I, I was thinking, did you have fire moments in the last oh, yeah. few years? Yeah, oh, um, I've kept the bag packed at the door since September. Wow. Yeah. yeah the Getty fire came right up to the edge of. I was uh, 150 yards from the northern uh, mandatory border. Wow. I was like, what does that mean? I mean so you were just, just waiting. Yeah. So you never had to evacuate, but Not it could have happened at any moment. Correct. All right. Well, I hope that never does happen. All right. Thank you. Um, I walked into the smell of cookies today. <laughs> so what do we, because this is a cookbook after all. Um, what, do, what am I about to bite into? You're going to bite into a blueberry, white chocolate, and toasted walnut oatmeal cookie. Oh my god! I figured we're coming up on Christmas flavors, so I wanted to stay away from that for you. You know, right? Like you're gonna OD on cinnamon soon enough. So, so there we go. Good. They're so good. Yeah. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Have you always loved to cook? My entire family has loved to cook. Yeah, that was something. My mom and dad both were great cooks. Right. All my sisters. I have three sisters. Um, yeah, we just all do it. It's just something we do. Do you remember a moment you fell in love with it? When you first realized, oh, I can be creative, or this is fulfilling. I have a feeling like it was, really was in high school, because I was also the cook for all my friends. And mm -hmm. I, I can remember um, like inventing a barbecue sauce and just going, wow, I can do whatever I want in here. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess that, you know... What was that sauce like? Do you still make it? Yeah, I, I used to call I, I was totally in the Lord of the Rings. So I called it Dragon Back Ribs. Right. And they were big beef back, like they, you know, like something from the Flintstones. You know? Right. And so it was a tomato based um, chili and onion and garlic. And, you know, it was kind of like 
all the spices that we grow up with here in Southern California. Right. Kind of bending towards Mexican. So, yeah, it's really good. Love. Yeah. Yum. Sounds so good. <laughs> now, this is the first cookbook I've ever read that is also a love story. It is also a tearjerker. It, it's got a lot in there because you chronicle the, the, a year of your life along with these recipes that go with the different seasons. Talk about the first, um, how you first came up with the idea of wanting to, to approach cooking this way. Well, um, my, my premise is that love is the most important ingredient. We hear that all the time. And what does that mean? You know? Right. Um, and what I realized is that the, that the love you have in your heart while you're cooking for someone special is what makes that dish special. And so to demonstrate that, I talked about the people that I was cooking for in each of the holidays of a year in our life. Right. Um, what I didn't know uh, was that I was actually chronicling the last year of our marriage. Um, you know, Mars passed away um, last October 6th, a year ago. Yeah. And, um, and that was the, you know, I was, the book was basically done. It was at the proofreaders in September of July, actually. Right. Um, and she passed in October. And the editor said, you know, you really documented her leaving. Yeah. And I, you know, but, but there are some places where I guess I was letting it leak out around the sides. Right. Like it was, you could kind of, in the earlier chapters, I could feel like, oh, there's something going on here. There's some, yeah, something, right. something's amiss or something. Yeah. yeah. So I decided I needed to lean all the way in on that. Yeah. So, cause I was clouding things and euphemism and, you know, part of it is just the way that, uh, we had learned to deal with cancer. Yeah. You know, it's like, um, positive energy is the most powerful chemo. Right. And you keep trying to do things that you love to do. Exactly. And not just shut, shutting down everything. Completely. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, Mars was in the driver's seat on that. And I really, you know, um, I gave up early on, <laughs> not through, through wisdom, but mostly right. through blunt force trauma, um, uh, trying to fix her cancer. Right. Um, because she didn't try to fix my transition. Right. You know, she didn't understand it at first, hated it, you know, when I first came out to her. Right. But then she went, okay, wait, this is you and your life, and our life is about each of us rising to our best potential. So I did the same thing with her cancer. You know, I, right. mean, I would tell her, I don't like this idea, or I don't like what we're doing, or... And she'd say, yeah, I don't care. And I'm like, okay, you're right. And then I would throw that away and get 110 in on what she needed. Yeah. So in that process, I wasn't really aware so much that time was... We always treated time as being precious. Right. I wasn't measuring how much we had left. If that right. Makes sense. Yeah. 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 So, You're tr you didn't have like a n numbers in your head all correct. the time. Yeah. You were just like, make the most of this. Exactly. Stay yeah. in the present. The future will figure itself out. I remember when my mother had cancer and it was so hard to get her to eat. So for a food person, that must be a real challenge. It well, Mars's taste had always been she was such a food snob right and i say that with great love <laughs> right but like she you know she would tell me all the time like you've ruined chicken for me like i can't order it out i want your chicken is all i want i'm like okay that's awesome but i would love to make it a little bit different this time she's like no why? no no yeah, don't we, mess with yeah, it do yeah, that yeah. thing and like, right ah. you know how about we do it right. she was a bone-in skin on girl right and right like, well but i could do the no 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 you know so 
especially towards the last couple of months of her life, it was whatever I could do to get any kind of calories into her. Right. So we followed her cravings everywhere they went. Right. And I just was, I was like, you, can I have? Absolutely. It was almost like a challenge to you as a cook. Yeah. Like, I'm craving this. Make it work. I will do it. Right. <laughs> what were some of the cravings or the, the unusual poached things? Poached eggs. I mean, I've got poached eggs. I'm a samurai at poached eggs. Right. And they, with her, they had to be specific. I mean, right. they were perfect yolk, perfect white, you know, and I was like, okay, I nailed this. Song. Are you sitting there waiting for her to taste it and eat it? Like, oh, hell on yeah. a cooking show? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that was... Yeah, poached eggs, I think, was probably one of the easiest ones to, because it was like, it was all about technique. Right. And not about like, you know, crazy prep. Right. Um, It's finesse. It is. It's all finesse. Yeah. Now, you write in the book that cooking saved your life. Yes. How do you mean? Well, um, you know, and and I, it's hard for me to talk about parts of this, but I I don't want to like diminish what goes on. But in the transgender community... 41% of people have attempted suicide. And that's reported in the last transgender survey. 41%. Attempted. Yeah. Right? And that's not even just like ideation and and depression. And so um, I, two things that I learned early on was denial. Right. (laughs) Um, This isn't happening. This isn't going on. This is not going on. And and. And it didn't stop the dysphoria. In fact, I think it actually increased it. You know? Right. Um, but I could always find solace in the intense focus that cooking does to me. I know some people that aren't that, you know, uh, one-pointed in the cooking, but I am. I'm all right. in. It's, like, it's almost meditative. Completely. Like, you you can't really be in the past or the future. You have to be right there. Exactly. Yeah, and, yeah. and be, being able to go to that helped you cope with all of those feelings. Yeah, because I, you know, it's it's a place where I could at least get a little bit of relief and refresh my grip on holding on to my life. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, when it started to get closer and closer, like, you know, I hit a, it's almost like the needle was pushing against the inside of the balloon and it was going to, at one point, pop. Right. This is unsustainable. Yes. And, And you don't, you kind of, like, if you've been coping with something all your life, you kind of think, well, I can still hang on. If I hang on till the end of my life, I'll be good. Right, because you know, you're, 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 you know, you're not super young. You're, you're, you know, you could have just been, you know what, I'm going to ride this out. Yeah, that's what I thought I could do until it just bursts of its own accord. And, you know, that's the thing. is like people always say, well, you know, well, you got that far. Why didn't you hang on? Why didn't you just stick it out? It's not a choice. Right, (laughs) because you want to be authentic. And it's not even like wanted. On my part, it was a complete system failure. Right. You know, if um, if your body is saying, if you do not, we're doing, yeah, we're we're doing this. We're doing this, whether you like it or not. Right. That's (laughs) so interesting. Yeah. So um, having um, the, as I was getting closer and closer to that, you know, once I came out to Mars, which was the first big system failure. Right. Then it was like, okay. I need some way of expressing this, and I'm not in a position to express it. Like I was never in a position to dress or, or uh, um, you know, have a an outward expression of it. So I just put my all of it into cooking. It's like you right because this is a way I can nurture me, them, everyone. I could express it without everybody getting all weird. You know, right. I always cooked for all my crews, and they're like, "Wow, you're just a good cook." I'm like, "Yeah." Right, because your background is as a TV producer and showrunner. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting. We associate. Gender and cooking is really interesting because we associate it with our mothers cooking for the family, and yet male chefs seem to be thought of as the stars. Correct. 
It's fucked up. It's not fair. <laughs> but it's interesting that cooking and gender are just interesting partners, and you've probably gotten to see that from every angle. Yeah, completely. And I think that's, you know, because of modern, like, um, especially American restaurant cooking, Yeah, you have to be, like, Godzilla back there. You've got to get, you've got to be a showrunner. You've got to push, you know, 10 to 20 people across the finish line every night. Because it is a show. It's a major show. And it's make or break. Right. You know, if you have you ever done that? Have you ever worked <laughs> in that environment? No. And don't seem like you want to. <laughs> I, you know, every once in a while I would tell Marsh, like, I don't know. Let's. How about a restaurant? She's like, no. You love cooking. You yeah. can't. You can't do this for a living. I right. Well, I've loved to design a restaurant, but after reading like uh, Anthony Bourdain's Kitchen Confidential, yeah. No, nah, they're mad pirates, and they're out to get everything they can. Yeah, it's a little too cutthroat. <laughs> it's crazy. Right now, you've worked in TV producing, and you were showrunners on shows like Dude, You're Screwed, Land Rush for the Discovery Channel. Have you ever wanted to work on a cooking show? I've always wanted to work on a cooking show. Yeah, it feels like um, a perfect fit. It would be amazing. But it would have to be something like, you know, uh, Destin, uh, Parts Unknown or something like that. Because I, and, you know, I'm th- I think I'm probably, you know, t- making my own grave with the Food Network. But I can't stand this whole competition bullshit right. that we got going. It's like, that's not, that's not cooking. You know, like right. doing it under the gun and, and uh, you know, it's, you're already riding. Cupcake wars. Yeah, yeah. Cookie not, wars. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not war, you know. Have you ever thought about competing on one? No. Yeah. No. I yeah. mean, um, every once in a while when I see what someone won with, I go, oh, that's well, bullshit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. so good. But it's interesting know. to me that they're so popular because you can't taste things. You're watching other people taste things. It's, they always take little tiny bites. It drives me nuts. Eat the cookie, people. Right. <laughs> like, mm. Anyway, I have, my, I have my thoughts about that genre. But well, I yeah, I mean that's the same thing. What I don't like about it though is that it's also it's kind of it makes the home cook feel like that's what they have to do. Yeah, you know, I have a dear friend of mine. I actually even Val, I hope you're not listening. Um, <laughs> um, and I, we, I did the pilot for her cooking show. She's a phenomenal cook. Yeah, really good, creative. And she's, you know, she's like the mom cook. She's kept her family healthy. Right. They're all into college now. Um, and so she's done it. Right. Know, she's kept the family on track, kept them on budget, kept everybody healthy, and dealt with all their various teenage yeah. whims and, and fantasies. She offered to do the launch party for, for Reckless. Right. And she said, I want to make some of your recipes. And I'm like, well, that's really sweet. So then right as we're about to sit down, she's like, can you come back here? I go, sure. She goes, taste it and tell me if it's right. I'm like... You read the book, right? Right. <laughs> it's right if you say it's right. It's not right if I say it's right. You know, right. But she was really earnestly feeling the pressure. Wanted to get you to sign off on yeah, it. Yeah, and I was like, no, Val, it's, you, you have to sign off on right. me. That's the, you know, you've got to, I, I, if I had a point in Reckless, it's like, you've got to go all in. Yeah. And, and that's, I don't want to make that as a pressure thing. I want that to be a love. You want to jump all the, with both feet in. Yeah. You know, and put that out for your people. Now, reckless is not spelled like reckless. It's spelled reckless, and you explain why in the book. But can you tell yes. the listeners? Yeah, um, well, you know, I have always been about texture in cooking. That was one of the things that I, one of the first turning points I went from was just like just throwing a bunch of ingredients in there, and then like let's get this to really turn out the way I wanted it to turn right. out. Right. You know. Um, so I cook with high heat on cast iron. Yeah, you love the high heat, and it's just because it can. I can. That's where I feel I can turn corners and make, you know, mid-air adjustments right. in order to get the texture I need. 
but it means you got to work fast. Yeah, and there's a boldness to your approach. It's risky. It seems. It's risky. Right. <laughs> You're on the knife's edge, right? Yeah. So um, sometimes I've got to just like, you know, this thing is can't be in my hand anymore because I only have two hands and it's super hot. Right. Into the sink it goes or, you know, throwing a, uh, a spatula over my shoulder because that one's got the wrong sauce on it for what I need to stir now and right. I need it instantly. So I'm always banging and right. slamming. If they did a time-lapse video of you going crazy in the kitchen. <laughs> it would look like I was cat right. juggling. I love it. Um, <laughs> and, and so I had a friend of mine, and, and she said, my, you know, I was making so much noise, and she was out here talking with Mars, and she goes, my God, do you have to be so goddamn reckless in the kitchen? I was like, yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> I really thanks do. for that title. <laughs> yeah. I love it. And Len Lass, of course, is fun. Um, you wrote in the book that you have one drawer in your kitchen, and, and I was like, that... And now that I'm here, I'm like, yeah, it looks like you might have just one drawer. Yeah. Yeah. But you manage. Well, that's the thing. It's, it's like, so charming. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel like I'm in a fun cabin, woods place. Mar Marcy awesome. called this the treehouse. because It if you feels look like out, a treehouse. There's, there's trees everywhere. Yeah. yeah. It's wonderful. It's also the easiest house in the world to move into because everything's a double door. Every oh, that's room. so handy. Yeah. How long have you lived here? Uh, 13 years. Wow. Fantastic. Yeah. I love it. And so you go through the different holidays. Mm -hmm. Um, Halloween is fun. Uh, talk about Halloween in terms of your book and what you how what you like to cook and how you like to celebrate. Oh, well, Halloween is for me is the gateway drug to Christmas. Is right about that. It's like you know, it's like you, it's the last set of those flavors, but you are starting to ramp it up and you're starting to get right. thematic. Um, so I always love to go with something you know that's going to be kind of you know you think of corn, you think of squash, right. you think of all those kinds of things. But I always thought like you know we make the jack o' lantern. Right. And then, oh, you do the yes, yeah. and then and then that thing dies. I mean, it dies an ugly death in my house. Right. You know, it has a blue beard the next morning. Right. <laughs> you know? um, and so I thought, what well, you know, but the jack o' lantern is a symbol of of Halloween. Right. So I invented a pumpkin uh, soup, and you eat it. You drink. You do it out of the pumpkin. Out of the pumpkin. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And so you have to find the right size pumpkins. Yeah, and that's easy today. Yeah. And now you can find them in like 9,000 different colors. Yeah. So, you know, match your wardrobe. <laughs> People must have been so excited when they're like, I get to. Eat soup out of a pumpkin. Yeah. I yeah, love it. It's super fun. I love that. Um, you write about your sister, Lib, mm -hmm. um, and there's a toast that you have in your family <laughs> that I love and I thought is so thematic. I can't remember word for word, but... Uh, here's to those that love us and to those that don't fuck them. Now, has that always been kind of in your family? Oh, yeah. Because it seems so resonant with you transitioning. It feels a little bit like I need to... I can't worry about everybody's opinion, Right. We, but that, but that sort of already been in your family that idea. Yeah, it's funny. Um, you know, the Madden coat of arms uh, is one of the only. Um, I think it is the only. What do they say in heraldry? The only sign of active death, and it is a falcon with a dead mallard in its talons, right? And nothing else on the shield. Like everybody else has, like you know. E pluribus unum, and right. God we trust ours. It's like, get the fuck out of our way. <laughs> right. Wow, right. So that's always been there. It has. You know, my father, as I say, you know, he, he fed us with, you know, bare knuckle right. chutzpah. Uh, he was a car salesman and a bartender, and he fed us with his pool cue most of the time. So yeah. we grew up with that kind of that ethos. Right. Um, and I had to look up what a timpano is. Because um, it's from the movie Big Night. That's There's right. a famous one in there. But um, you have a recipe for timpano. But describe what it is. Because it looks, when you look at it, it's like, is that a brick? What's happening? <laughs> well, the movie's a little bit different. And, right. and over, you know, it became um, our um, signature dish for Christmas Eve. Marcy right. and I would always have a big formal sit-down Christmas Eve dinner. And so the first couple times I made it, I made it just like the way that Stanley Tucci 
said he got it from his mother's recipe. Which, right. You know, um, Stanley's got no reason to lie, right? Right. The movie's amazing. It's one of right. my favorite movies. Um, and what he does is he used a big pasta noodle. Right. Um, and he puts it in the inside of what looks like an old wash tub. Right. And they make a big point of that. But it's basically what you're making is a stuffed pasta. Yeah. Um, what I realized after a while is that, you know, that eating that hard crust uh, pasta noodle is only good like for two or three bites. And then after that, you're like, yeah, I can't eat that. It's too crunchy. Right. So I made it with a pizza dough. Nice. So, uh, you know, and then I refined that and it kind of took a, some notes from Nancy Silverton, who's the right. La Brea Bakery and, you know, and Asteria Moza and Pizzeria Moza. Yeah. Um, and her, her recipe is intense. But also Bobby Flay had a great flatbread recipe in his barbecue thing. Yeah. Um, books. So I kind of mashed the two of those together and came up with my own little, you know, things I liked about both. And you put a big you know, pizza dough inside of a big bowl. Right. And, uh, you know, as I write about in, in Reckless, um, when I walked into Sur La Table after I watched The Big Night, right. I said, do you know where I can get it to? And I didn't even have timpano out of my mouth. And yeah. the woman just said, aisle four. Right. You know, I was like, I was like the 30th person who came in that day. Right. It was like bowl. the trendy thing after the movie. <laughs> yeah. And so I got the bowl. The bowl. It's that one right up there, the brown one. Oh, nice. And that, that's, that's the perfect. That's, that's the perfect bowl for us. And I love it. Um, and then I, you just do layers of pasta and cheese and sauce. You know, Stanley Tucci's version, they had like hard-boiled eggs in there and meatballs and all kinds of right. cool, cool stuff that when you cut it, it, it gets revealed in wedges. It's like, ooh, it's really, exciting. It's yeah, pretty. yeah, yeah. But I have so many vegetarian friends, so I couldn't put the meatballs in. Right. And the hard-boiled egg was just like as cool as it looked. It wasn't that flavorful. Yeah. So I just pulled that out and I just go with, with different layers of different kinds of sauces. So I do a marinara and a pesto and a mushroom sauce. Nice. And then you get all kinds of different pretty colors. You cut it into wedges and serve it and take bows. And take bows. <laughs> is there something in cooking that you just can't do or can't get? or Like, is there something that's like, that is not my thing? Um, I um, have not really leaned into, like, the raw food. Yeah. That hardcore side of the vegan world. Yeah. Nut cheeses and stuff like that. And I, I have a lot of friends that eat that way, and so right. I... I, you know, if, if I was going to do something specific for them for their birthday, I would probably figure out how to nail it. But right. um, it's just something I haven't gone there yet. And sure. it's not really my, it's not my thing yeah. uh, anymore. So I would only do it for now. But. Yeah. Uh, you write in one of the chapters, you tell a story about, um, I just wrote this sentence down and you'll remember it. Mikey lost his shiz. <laughs> but it was, you were with family members and you found out something about when you transitioned that you didn't know at the time. Yes. Yeah. It was interesting to read about. Well, yeah, Mikey is, uh, he's kind of like my, definitely my canary in the coal mine because he's, um, he's my sister's, um, husband. He's my age. So, um, he's like two years older than, uh, three years older than his wife, my sister, Kim. Right. Lib. Um, I call her Lib because in high school we were doing everybody's names backwards. So she is a Libernick. Right. So I just shorten it to Lib. So. Nice. <laughs> um, and so Mikey is like. He's a really good man. Right. Um, he is not has not been exposed to a lot of things outside of a very liberal Del Mar lifestyle. His mom and dad, dad has run like the progressive newspaper and he's all in on politics. Right. Mom started the first Planned Parenthood in North San Diego County. So they're all in on progressive thought. Right. But he's never had to put a lot of it up on its legs. And he's right. just been a surfer all of his life. 
Um, so he's always around like the he-man right. kind of guys, you know. So when I came out, he was uh, very polite and cordial, and uh, you know, he's always been super loving. And did you do it face to face? Oh yeah. I yeah. mean, I what happened was I called Kimberly. I called the and said, you know, here's the deal. And she's like, oh my god, that's amazing. Are you how you feel? Are you, you know, how's Mars? Right. Are you happy? Okay, good. It, Lib is like she's the the quintessential mom. She has all of the best qualities of my mom. Right. Like she just is unflappable about yeah. anything growth wise. Right. So then I finally got to see her in person, right. which was about a month after I told her. And you know those shock waves are reverberating through the rest of my family at this point. And all of her children were happy to be home, and so they were all there to meet Aunt Scotty. And Mikey was there, my brother-in-law. And it was just a, a love fest, and I thought it was all awesome. And so I left flying high. Right. That couldn't have gone better. Couldn't have gone better. Right. What I didn't know was that he was had just put on a face because he didn't want to, like, you know, do anything with me in the room. Right. As soon as I walked out the door, he starts ranting and raving. I don't give a damn about any of this stuff. I've known him for 20 years. I'm going to call him. He, he can just suck me. You know. Right. And my niece, his daughter, Hannah, said, well, Daddy, that would really hurt my heart. And he said... How old is the daughter? At this time, she's uh, 19 years old. Right. And so he said he felt like he was two inches tall. Right. It just got it. Instantly cut him down. And then he realized that he was holding on to that for his ego, not mine. Yeah. And then what I didn't know, that's the part of him losing his shiz. But then after that, he went really deep into like, why do I feel this way? Why does it matter to me? What's this about? What's this about? And then he became my best champion. With yeah. all the rest, because my um, my other you know parts of my family yeah. were doing the same exact thing. Uh, my godmother was doing yeah. it, and so he you know cut my godmother to the quick and said, "No, we can't think this way. Yeah, we have to get behind her." You know, that's remarkable. And it wasn't that long ago, twenty fifteen. Yeah, twenty fifteen. And you've written a book about it already. Yeah. Um, that I want to pick up and, and check out. Um, what was the name of that book? Getting back to me. From there's girl, a fun subtitle. <laughs> from girl to boy to woman in just 50 years. I love it. Awesome. Um, and then you also write about another sister. Mm-hmm. And then you, you write this wonderful scenario about... Uh, there's been distance, and you write this scenario about coming together. But then you, you sort of you sort of say that's not kind of what happened. But then something does, does happen. Yeah, it's so funny. So that's kind of the other thing I needed to lean into. When right. it was at the proofreaders... Right. Um, I had written it all as if the one sister who lives in the South, right, who uh, is our recovering Catholic, right. Um, she's gone back to the faith of our childhood, and you know, I didn't, I didn't leave Catholicism for any other reason other than I embraced yoga, you know. Right. So I was just like, it. That, that's what I started dedicating my life to yoga philosophy, and you know, it's like, and Catholicism fits in there, and it also doesn't. I don't go to church right. on Sundays. It's not like I said. Who cares about Catholics? Right. I don't like the way they deal with the LGBT community, but let's be right. real. That's not all Catholics. That's just a bunch of knuckleheads who wear white skirts. Right. Go figure. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, um, you know, my godmother was still very dedicated. My aunt Michelle is there. They're really into it. So I, I have great respect for it. Right. Um, but um, I forgot where I was going with this. Uh, we're talking about the sister. Oh yes. So Shannon, my Shane is the the youngest of all of us, right. and she 
said all the right things on the phone, and then she never picked up the phone again. And I tried every week. I would try right. a different time, different day. Yeah, you know, tried herself. Get her in a different yeah, mood. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I know that she was avoiding us because my aunts, my godmother and my aunt Michelle, who live in Florida, would see Shanna all the time and would report back. This is what they're saying about you, right? So, you know, I, I what I wanted to do, and I wrote in that chapter a, a reconciliation for it, and I wrote it in present tense. Yeah. Um, and then I wrote, you know, because it was a fantasy. Right. The, the reconciliation hadn't happened. Right. Um, it's what I wanted, wanted to have happened, um, happen. And it was an interesting place to talk about how you know, the, all the comorbidity within the trans community goes like triples and quadruples when there is no family acceptance. Right. Um, you know, alcohol and suicide and drug use and sex work, all that stuff rockets because right. you've been kicked out by your family and you have zero choices after that, you know. So I thought, well, this is a good place to make that point and I'm kind of feeling a little bit of it, you know. I'm, Albeit, you know, I'm not... Uh, an alcoholic <laughs> because of this lack of family acceptance, but it still felt it stung to be rejected by her. Right. Because I raised her. Kim Lib and I had to raise our two youngest sisters when my mother passed away and my father lost his mind. Right. You know, he went into grief so hard he didn't know what he was doing. Mm. So we literally took over raising him. And how old would you have been around that? I was 20. Yeah. And Shanna was 14, 15. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I feel like I raised her better than that. Right. <laughs> to reject your family. What are you doing? Right. Um, and then um, because the book was away at the, you know, the proofreader and a lot of stuff started to come to light, that was uh, July, August. Marcy passed away in October and my, my godmother passed away in January. Mm. And so I was in the process of rewriting and refiguring it because once Mars passed away, I realized that I had been doing it from January to January as a, a chronicling a year. But really our year was, our last year was October to October. Yeah. So when I reconfigured all that, it, it opened things up that I need to talk about this because now we've gone to the funeral and Shanna was amazing. Yeah. She stepped up. She, you know, apologized. I mean, she did all the things that I had fantasized you might have happen. Maybe you manifested it with the chapter. Uh, maybe. <laughs> I'd love to take credit for that, but this right. one's all on her. She yeah, really that's did. fantastic. She, she just came out of nowhere and yeah. and became the person that I always hoped and believed that she was. Right. And so I had to kind of say, oops, not really. We've right. had this, We, you know, editor's note. <laughs> right. Um, and give her props for doing that. Yeah. Um, but I kept the chapter as is because, um, you know, it still makes the point. Yeah. Um, Christmas is coming up. You do a hardcore Christmas Eve dinner. You, people dress. Full on. You yes. Yeah, don't be, don't be, you know. Don't come in flip-flops. Exactly. Well, um, why do you love it? Oh, gosh. Um, I think, you know, the simple answer is that it's, it, Christmas was my mom. Yeah. Uh, my mom's, my mom pulled the Christmas decorations out of the attic. Well, I pulled them out for her, um, you know, after after Halloween. But they had to stay in place because Thanksgiving had to have its due. Right. Couldn't do early. But the day after Thanksgiving, Boom. it was on. You yeah. Know? And we're, I mean, 
we had the cheesiest decorations and they were the their most wonderful, beautiful right. things. You know? Love it. Yeah. So um, that's really what it is. And so her love for it became how our family celebrated it. And so it just became that thing. Yeah. You write in the book about cooking for your ego versus cooking as something to give. Yeah. And were there times when you realized, oh, I'm making this about the wrong thing? Oh, totally. Where you caught yourself going, I'm invested incorrectly in in this. Oh, completely. I mean, the the easiest lesson was when I first met Mars, I mean, I've always been a fire breather. Yeah. So, you know, and I would, I called it cooking magically. You know, you would add three jalapenos because three was a magical number, the better number than one. It had nothing to do with how hot it was going to be. And also it had nothing to do with how hot she liked it. Right. Because... It was two years into our relationship, and she said, can we have just just one dish? I don't care. Oatmeal, whatever. Just one dish without jalapenos. And right. I was just... I was just No, like, this is how I do it. Exactly. You know, and I thought, well, what am I doing? No. Right. And, and also, oh my God, how many meals did she suffer through right. where I thought I was loving her? Right. You know, so that's where... That, that was the first place where it started to turn around. Like, hey, this isn't about that, you know? And... Truly speaking, when you're cooking for someone, you have to really dial into what they like. Yeah. You know, if you're going to give them what you want to cook, that's your ego. Yeah. But if you're cooking for some for someone, then you're right. like, okay, well, what do you like? How do you want your eggs? What's the moment when you feel the most warm and fuzzy around cooking for somebody? Is it when they taste it and tell you how good it is? Or is it afterwards when you're washing the dishes? Like, when, when is it that it feels the best? I think I think it's at the end of the meal when everybody just kind of pushes back. Yeah, and you can tell, right? You know, I mean, that they had a treat. Yeah, they had special. They had something special. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, did you know? I I just want to bring this up because you may be aware of it. Possibly, did you know there's a culinary center in the LA LGBT Center now, where they teach cooking to there's a whole cooking school, and then they also serve meals to the seniors and the at-risk youth that come and stay there. I, I did a tour of it recently. It's new within the okay, last thank year. God. <laughs> it's, it's, it's within the last year. It's in that new part of it on yeah. McCadden across from the village. But I walked in there and I'm like, this is impressive. Yeah. Yeah. They they should do something with you there because that would be they, awesome. State of the art, everything. And it's I was like, wow, this is this is amazing. It made me feel really good. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. I have to check that out. Yeah. It's yeah. Really I, cool. like, I got in there at uh, Trans Pride. I was able to kind of walk in there for, for the first time. Yeah. Um, but it was all, you know, it was where all the, the different uh, resource groups were. So right. I didn't get any further past that. Yeah. It, I was like, oh, this is so cool that they're doing that. Um, you write about being a ninja valentine. Describe <laughs> that uh, for our listeners. Ah, uh, ninja valentine. Uh, well, this is that was one of those careful what you... Um, Careful the bar you set. Right, so you have yeah. to keep living up to it every yeah. year. Yeah. I'm having another cookie. Yeah, good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, the very first time I, I got this idea, um, I cut like 150 felt hearts uh, out of you know sheets of felt that I got at uh, my old store. And I strung them on gold elastic cords. And then I put those elastic cords on two curtain rods. And I rolled it up and I put it under the bed. And then um, sometime, you know, on the 13th, uh, you know those, I think they're called uh, majors or whatever. They're, it's a hook that you can put on the wall with a big glue kind of stick. Mm-hmm. And then if you pull it one way, it will release. 
Okay. You, if the weight is directly on it, it it, uh, it, st- it sticks to the wall. Right. So I stuck these hooks up there, and because the well was white, and it was kind of later on in the day, Mars didn't see it. So we went to bed that night, and I know her routine, having been married to her at this stage for about 15 years. And, um, 10 years. Yeah, 10 years. Um, and I just, you know, Valentine's has always been important to us and special. And the very first Valentine that Mars gave me was her door. Right. I had, uh, I had I made a date with this woman on Valentine's before Mars and I started out together. And right. I was using this date to tell this woman because I wanted to, I, I liked her, respected her, but I was all in on Mars. Yeah. You, so I was like, yeah. I, I have to do this. And, and <laughs> I had to do it on Valentine's Day, which was really shitty. Um, and so... Mars was like, that's really weird. You know, on her, from her standpoint, she's like, so I don't get you for Valentine's Day and we're all in on each other. I'm like, I know, it's kind of weird. Stupid. So she's, I said, are you going to be home tonight? And she said, I don't know, maybe. Yeah. Like kind of playing hard to get and rightly so. And she said, I'll tell you what, I mean, you, you'll know if you can come in. I'm like, I will? She says, yeah, you'll know. Whether you can or you can't. So I drove, I took this woman out to dinner, we had her dinner, we broke up, I took her home, Yeah. did, you know, did my, the completion of that, and drove to Mars's house, and on her door was a sign that just said yes. Oh. So I said, so that's why I say that the, my first Valentine from Mars was the, her, her front door. Oh, that's amazing. So I, I wanted to incorporate that into the Valentine's, so from then on I would always do something weird, but then, the, then I got this idea for the, the cords on, well, the hearts on the cords. And so when she, you know, at about 5 a.m., she would always get up to go potty. And it's still dark, can't really see. So as soon as she went out, I was able to just put one curtain rod above our head and string it across taut to the other side, opposite wall. It had to be like clockwork. Exactly. And so when she didn't see it in the darkness, but when she woke up, she was sleeping, had been sleeping under a canopy of 150 felt covered heart. Oh my gosh. And, and now you have to do, do something like that every, <laughs> every year. Every year, yeah. 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 And I would. I'd be like, but it has to be like, you know, paper kind of. Has to, be kind of has to have a homemade quality. Yeah. Too. You can't. It's none of this Hallmark stuff. Yeah. 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 So yeah. I, I recently found some pictures. Um, I had turned that wall, which is all glass. Right. Every pane, I put a piece of acetate cut out of a heart, different color, or, you know, cut the heart out of one and then put the square, which had the negative of the heart in the other. Right. And, um. My brother-in-law spent <laughs> three weeks cutting it out of there. Wow. In March. Because Mars would always leave them up for months on end. You know, she didn't even want to take them down. Yeah, they're wonderful. I, I was struck as I was reading it that this is a couple that really expresses their love daily. And, like, it, it, it just, it's not like one of those things where it was never said, but it was always there. Right. No, it felt like it was expressed fully. Always. Always. Yeah. Before your transition, after your transition. Oh, that's okay. always how you've been together. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's so moving and, 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 and poignant and, and wonderful. Did you, when you started the book, you didn't know this is the journey that you were going to be writing about. I no idea. Did writing give you something? Did it give you some more to put things or how did, or was it like, the last thing I want to do is work on this book that I'm doing? Well, and, you know, so part of it is my work ethic as a, produ- as a, you know, showrunner and a producer right. is like, you know, in, 
<laughs> no shade. You know how to get things done. Yeah, no shade on my friends, but there's a lot of people who go, oh, I'm writing a book. I'm like, they've been writing it for 10 years. I'm right. like, no, if I'm going to do a book, I'm going to write the book, I'm going to finish the book. Right. i got to hit air. That's right. what I know how to yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. runner, we're going to make air. Yeah. So, um, I knew that I wanted to get this done. One of the last things that Mars said to me was, keep doodling going. Right, and that's your, your company that you yeah. do your books and, exactly. and, and, and all of our work. work. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and the book was started and it was, you know, so that was what I dedicated myself to. Um, there were times where, you know, in the, the year of grieving uh, yeah. um, that I felt like I have truly lost my mind. Why did I think that, that I could do this? Because it was so intense to be editing what I writ, wrote, you know, yeah. you know, and then it came back from the editors. And so then I'm like looking over their notes of what they were editing and right. tweaking. And so then I'm having to go back into that experience. I'm yeah. Like, give me you... more about this. No. Yeah. Why? <laughs> why would I do that? What sane human would do that? You know? Right. And then we went through layout and then layout is like, now I'm studying all photos this. Uh, again. Photos was the worst, you know, because of the, in order to keep the color plates together, that that relationship can't ever change. So it's color plate on the left side, on the odd number page, the menu on the even number page. Right. That relationship has to stay locked together. Right. So there always has to be a photo in this position. Okay. So if I written wrote a chapter that was a page shy, I had to come up with a picture. Yeah. And the only pictures that I had that were on as high resolution as the photos that we had shot for the book. Yeah. Were the ones that Mars and I had done, had professional photographers documenting us for our various marketing for our talks and stuff. Right. So that meant we were looking at professionally photographed bracketed shots. So yeah. bracketing is a technique that we use in all kinds of, you know, moving image and still image, but you shoot the same subjects in the same pose that you want in multiple um, focal uh, changes and multiple um Aperture changes for writing right. techniques. So I would find a pose that I liked that would be appropriate for the chapter. Then I'm looking at five different versions of it. And I have two, I'm used to working as an editor, so I have right. two desktop computer screens. So I'm looking at life size photographs, portraits of Marcy across off. Right. You know, and I'm like, and it's almost like it's just surrounding it. It was like self-inflicted grieving, yeah. you know. It was, and I would get to the end of the day, and I'm like, you've got to just... The only thing that kept me going was like, I, if I finish this, I can end this part. Right, there can be... This grieving part. You know? Right. And I want, did, yeah. it, did it feel like that when it happened, or was yeah. it... No. No. It, it was a nice thought. It was, it's a lovely thought. You <laughs> right. Know? Grief does its own thing. Yeah. It, does, it has its own schedule. It doesn't care what you think. Yeah. Um, you talk about going out and speaking and stuff like that. What kinds of things would you guys do? We um, would speak for, uh, we had a couple of colleges that we had actual uh, recurring events with. And we would talk about what it was like for a couple to transition. Yeah. Um, we, Relatively recently. Yeah. 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 Um, How did that come about? Did they ask you or did you? Uh, somebody gave my book to Cal State Northridge. Right. And the way that Cal State Northridge works is that there's so many um, the freshmen all have to go through a writing. Um, they have to get. They have to go through a writing class. Right. So they've broken it down. There's African American writing. There's uh, there's queer studies. Right. There's uh, my book was chosen to be the one of the books in the queer studies. Right. And so that professor invited us to come and talk, and then that professor talked to other professors. So we 
We've spoken at three different colleges and then corporations. Google had us. Uh, NVIDIA is another corporation that makes all the video cards right. inside the computers. And um, word started to spread. I do. You fact, did a TED Talk? I did a TED Talk. I've always wanted to talk to somebody that did a TED Talk. You have to memorize that shit, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Full on. And you, it, it feels like they have a lot of things that you have to be able to do right. Like, they have a format, and you better... We don't want you looking in a notebook. Yeah. Were you nervous? Uh, you know, I I was nervous until the mic didn't work. And oh. then I had to jump into, like, this, you know, my tech mode. Right. And... The producer solving the problem. Yeah. And then, you know, and it's a new problem because it's poor, you know, woman who's never, she's the only mic, probably 30 people in their life has never mic a woman in a dress and Spanx. Right. So I'm like having to like pull them up over my head and right. she's now staring at this woman, like stuff she is and don't want to know right. that exists, right? Holding the microphone. I had to take the mic out of her hands, unplug it, hand it to my sister, Lib, who's standing there with me. Put this on my bra. This is before you even started. Did you have to start and stop? That was right before it started. Okay. And, and, you know, now they introduced me, and then it was a good 10 minutes before I took the stage because they had, normally they would have rotating mics. Yeah. But they didn't, They the person, the team that went on before were two people, mics, we had to unmic one person, then mic me. Yeah. And then I'm not going to go out there because I've broken, you know, pulled the mic out of the mic pack. I'm not going out there until the audio guy signs off. Well, this clown comes down from the booth. To look at what we've done. Like, I'll tell you if that mic's ready to go. Yeah. I'm like, no, honey, I just wanted you to, like, make sure it was still going through the board. You didn't have right. to come down here. But now, I've had to do all of this before I've taken the stage. And you've got to go give a memorized talk. And it kind of pushed me out of any kind of nervousness until I took the stage. Yeah. I walked out to the red dot. I turned and looked out at the crowd and thank God I hit the first slide. Yeah. Because I was off and mulling because adrenaline ripped through my body like about 220 volts. And you can see it if you watch the tape. You can yeah. see me kind of like shake it off. And I'm right. really trying to stay in my shoes. I'm about to blow up. When you do one of those, do you time it? Like, do you practice it Constantly. over and over? It just feels like a lot. Yeah. In fact, I was getting to be kind of a bitch because I had all kinds of friends right. stay with me and listen to it and then give me their feedback. Right. And the people who were at the first, the beginning of the month, gave me the feedback. They got almost all their notes in. Yeah. The people at the end, they got none of their notes in. I'm like, yeah, that's great feedback. But yeah. I've memorized this talk. I'm not yeah. changing it. And so I was really holding on to that. Right. And then two days before I was going to give the talk, I have a very dear friend who lives in the neighborhood, and she's Austrian. And she's just a lovely woman, and she just stared at me blankly and she, at the end of the talk, and she goes... You were talking so fast, I don't know what you said. And I was like, fuck. I, yeah. I'm sorry. That's, I, no, it's all good. I, I, can't, I can't fight that one. I can't yeah. like, what do you mean you don't, couldn't yeah. understand? You're like, yeah. you, know, you can't make someone understand when they don't understand. So right. I was like, oh God. So I, that night, it was, it was the most brutal I had been the entire time. And I slashed whole lines out. And I was like cramming all night long to try to get those lines memorized again. Are you glad you did? Are you glad you made the cuts? Oh, have to. You yeah. Because otherwise you would go over time and then they don't use your talk. Oh, they don't use your talk if you go over time. They are not messing around. <laughs> they do not. The TED Talk people are not playing around. They're Where not. was that at? It was at uh, UCSD in San Diego. Did they invite you? Yes. How exciting though. Yeah. That's, that's kind of a thrill. Yeah, it was. Yeah. What did you notice from talking to people in that environment or these other talks that you've given 
about what were their concerns or what, what surprised you about the way they responded to, to what you guys were talking about? Well, you know, uh, the TED Talk is kind of like uh, um, I'm describing the actual physical effects of gender dysphoria. Right. In a way, and I, my, my goal on that one was to, to do two things was we, we use the phrase gender dysphoria all the time inside the community. Outside the community, it's kind of sometimes people hear it and they're not quite, don't quite understand what it is. I noticed just in reading your book that it comes up more than I'm used to reading when I read about these issues. Yeah. And I, I thought that was good. I, it, it, it unlocks something in, even in my understanding a little bit. Oh, good. Yeah. I mean, that's my point is, is I, you know, we can gloss over all of that pretty quickly because when we're talking about it ourselves, we're having to relive the trauma. Yeah. And the one thing about reliving the trauma, and I want, you know, a trans person who may be facing this to understand is that you don't have the, you can't feel the physical effects of that trauma after transition or after you do the things you are necessary for you in your transition. For some people, you know, the dysphoria lifts as soon as they just say, Hey, you know, just please change my pronouns. And for others, you know, me included, um, when did it lift? It, for me, it completely lifted after I had gender-affirming surgery. Yeah, and 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 so it's hard to describe this, but I for some, like I you know once I transitioned socially and I started on hormones, it, it improved ninety percent. Were you surprised at how much it lifted? I was because when that happened, I still would never go out of the house without like full makeup and hair. Like I did not want. I wanted to give everybody out in the world. All the social clues so that they didn't misgender me. Right. After I had affirming surgery, I could give a fuck. Right. It's like, that's right. We're going to the car yeah, wash. They exactly. Don't need, they don't need yeah. Yeah. lips. If you, yeah. If you got a problem with me, you right. know, then you got a problem. That's great. Because yeah. sometimes I would think with big issues like this that those, those feelings and stuff are so long term that they wouldn't go away that easily that's what's so wild about it and that's what i try to that's why i've spent so much time talking about this for you because it is curable you know like it's not a it's not a disease it's a it's a it's the byproduct of suppression yeah you know so if you stop suppressing it goes away right how weird (laughs) right that's That's awesome so that's what i wanted in the ted talk i really wanted to do that and i also wanted to show that not even true love will make it go away. Right. You have to transition or you have to do the things that are necessary in your definition of transition. So I mean, Right, I'm, which could be different for different people. Exactly. Right. And it's That's important what for us to always like put that yeah. disclaimer out there because otherwise people they don't understand. Yeah. You know? I mean my brother in law, as good as he is, was this weekend was telling me, you know, it's like there's a young trans man that's uh, part of the, where he works saying, Well, you know, that's not what this person does. They don't. They don't care about pronouns. I'm like, yeah, they say that now because you're a bunch of dudes. Right. They're trying to be cool with a bunch of dudes. Right. You don't know what he goes through when you, you walk out of the room. Right. And he says that now. Right. But we're all talking for the the community. Right. You know, we don't. And it's. I hate to say that because we're was like, oh, I'm, I'm not living my life for everybody else, but. I kind of am, you know, I'm out there, I'm advocacy, I'm an advocate in corporations and right. universities. It's important for people to get it right. Right. Did anything change in your relationship, uh, in, your, in your marriage after you transitioned? Oh, a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of things. Um, the, but the, the, the subtle things didn't. Right. You know, it was, um, um, we had always had a really equal relationship. 
Right. Um, never needed to, like, you know, I would always tell her, look, I didn't marry a housekeeper. Right. You know? Um, but I could see a lot, a lot of what I was still subtly in that not acknowledging the pressure that she felt because of that. Right. You know, it's like, well, then you can pick up the load even more. You know, because we had a pretty, you know, it was equitable also in that I would make the money and she would spend it, meaning she kept, not just spend it, like she kept our financial house right. in that order. Was, that was her She did department. math. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, so that, but but there can be, when you're in that kind of a relationship, especially over a long period of time, right. you can abdicate responsibility in that. Right. I'm just doing my part. You know, you, you take it your part. Right. I'm doing this that's thing. Not equitable. And, and sometimes with the roles that we're used to certain yeah, genders playing. That's not whatever. equity. Equity right. is like you both are supporting each other all in 100%. So after the transition, those imbalances or whatever were more pronounced. They, you felt them more. Exactly. That's and also, you know, I felt like I had developed some really bad habits because of, you know, as I say, I was raised by wolves. Right. You know, um, you know I was raised as a boy. Um, you do first of all, I was the firstborn, so and I had been thought to be the only son. Right. So I had a position in the family that gave me a lot of privilege. Um, part of it was just like you know, I, I actually said out loud to Morris after my transition, "Look, that's it. We're not discussing this any further." And even she didn't have to turn around because I was like, "Who the hell are you?" You know, right. <laughs> to myself, like, "Ouch." I could hear it with, you know, now that I had estrogen yeah. clearing my ears. It's like, what? what? Yeah, yeah, like, oh, that's settled. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> yeah. We're just done talking about this. Because I, get to, I get to say this suddenly. I just proclaimed that. it. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that didn't probably last very long. No. And luckily, you know, I'm happy to say it was that I edited myself before she even had to turn around. You knew how, how it sounded. Yeah, yeah it was yeah, just yeah. like, ugh. Right. Like, where did I think I got that, yeah. you know? Um, and that was a lot of like, you know, particularly because with a, I call it late stage transitioning. When, right. when you've spent a lot of time in the, you know, for girls like me in the world of boys, you're like, you know, you pick up bad habits. Yeah. You know, um, or you, like what? Well, that was one of yeah. them. You know, just feeling like you you get to declare and everybody right. has to do what you say. Now, I get part of that as a showrunner. Right. But I learned the reverse of that as a showrunner. I never muse aloud. You know, I never say, like, I wonder what would happen if we did that, went up onto the top of that mountain. Because we will be at the top of that mountain before I have a chance to even think about it again. Right. You say something, something happens. That's right. They want they want to make the boss happy. Right. You know? So that happens a lot. Yeah. So, um, I, but I knew that, you know? Yeah. Um, I understood that more as a woman. I was able to go, you know, you can't do that because there's a price to be paid for that. Right. And the price is... The people that all just did that, when you reverse it, are going to be pissed off, and that's not fair to them. They right. don't. They they were trying to make you happy, and that's why you hired them. Right. So you know, reverse engineer that, honey, and and be compassionate here. Interesting. So you know that kind of thought process became more prevalent um, with intention. Before I'd always kind of had it, and I'd always kind of gamble that maybe I'll pull it off this time. Right. That's lame. Yeah. How did um, your television career, how was it affected by your transition? Well, um, <laughs> you know, part of it is that um, I just 
uh, the the first year after my transition, every interview ended up being about my transition. Yeah, every every job interview. Every job interview. So then it wasn't we weren't talking about me running their show anymore. Right. And then when I would, you know, press them on it, like I, you know, had a couple of times where I just lost my shiz myself and said, right. Hey, what's what what's going on? And they're like, Look, it's not us, but we're just afraid the crews aren't gonna follow you. One company said that to me and I was like Wow. You mean the crews that I have hired but these people that I've worked with for years. I brought into the jungle and brought them home alive. Those people, they're, right. you think they're not like that? Come on, you need a better bad excuse to use, right? You know, um, that was that one was like mind blowing. And part of it is like when somebody says something that stupid, you realize you can't work with them, right? Like I don't if, like I, I'm not. Well, this isn't a misunderstanding. Yeah, this is just does this person and and yeah, you know, I and then to, you have to sort of step away, even if the, even if the job was on the table. Exactly, and you know what? I'd third, cookie. third cookie, third <laughs> cookie. Um, I'd had some really bad. You know, my end of the of the reality television world was all hardcore. Um, you know, we'd be in, yeah. It wasn't like people in a house. You no. were out and yeah. And we were in the Amazon jungle for three months. You know, so. Um, and that one went sideways really badly. One dear, dear friend of mine was severely hurt. Took 10 years for her to get even the compensation paid for after fighting History Channel, fucks, and, (laughs) um, and the company that went out of business in order to dodge having to pay their responsibility to it. So Mm. that's why, you know, my, my warning signs or my warning lights go off when someone is that stupid because when they've been that stupid before people get hurt yeah they'll be stupid about other things exactly so you know it's part of it's like do i really want to fight this hard for something that i can't i don't want to have yeah um no i mean i i don't want to do that but i i would love to run somebody else's show if it was a good show but i've also you know the couple of shows that i did get on um recently was like the ways in which the crew was treated the way, and we're fighting this in the business right now yeah. there's a revolution percolating it hasn't right. happened Start, yet starting hearing things yeah. yeah um of of you know definitely labor conditions and that sort of thing which i always that's why i wanted to be the showrunner so i could guarantee we didn't face those things right so you could set the bar exactly exactly so um you know, is that going to change and will I get a job uh, starting in January when people come back from Christmas break? And maybe, you know, uh, it's not, I haven't stopped taking interviews. Um, right. Just, um, you know, I'd love to have an interview that was more about my skill set than how much lipstick I'm wearing. Right. Well, I hope that works the way you want it to work. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, you've got these awesome books and, and, and speaking and all this cool stuff that you're doing. Yeah. Making a difference. Yeah. Do you hear from people? Yes. I. <laughs> Um, I, I just had an experience this uh, summer where a reader that I had from Denmark, hello, Jean, um, uh, started a correspondence with me because she was going through the same thing with her wife of 30 years. Yeah. And her wife was not doing well with it. And so, right. You know, I, the problem was is this time we've had readers catch up with Mars and I in the past and we were always able to double team them. You know, Mars was always able to speak from the cis right. partner's uh, point of view and help their partner deal with it. Um, and I, you know, 
accurately speak from the trans perspective. Um, but with Jean, we weren't able to do that because Mars was gone. Right. Um, but she was able to be here on a vacation and actually got to meet her. Oh, that's incredible. And that was pretty wild um, and kept up the correspondence. It's, it's really important when you're going through that to have a sane sister yeah. <laughs> to talk to because part of it is just emotional. You know, it's really like, am I losing my mind here? What do I got to do? Because you can, you know, especially if you've got that many years in on the marriage, I yeah. did it. You know, when I came out to Mars, it, it just like exploded out of me one day, which which I talk about in the TED Talk. Right. Um, and I was trying to take it all back even as it was flying out of my mouth. Right. Because I could see on Marcy's face what it was doing to her. And you don't want to hurt this person, right? right? So we tend as trans people to kind of go, well, it's not really that bad. Or we try to soft pedal what it is we're trying to describe because we don't want, we can already feel the rejection happening. Right. right? It's too painful. It is. And you're like, well, no, okay. I uh, was only kidding. Right. <laughs> you know, and you have to stand up for yourself. Or then you go into the place of trying to be so nice about your transition for your spouse that your spouse starts to take advantage of it. Oh, wow. In what way? Well, even Mars would do it. Like, you know, she, I would say, look, you know, if this is going too fast for you, let me know. And she'd be like, yeah, I'll let you know. And then we wouldn't talk about it at all. And I'm like, um, were you thinking any more about this? I haven't really done that. You don't want to push and prod. Right. You're trying to let them go at their own pace. Yeah, but then they don't They don't understand that you're coming at that right. point. And they will not... Pandora and right. going back in the box. It's so interesting you talk about exploding with it. Because I think as a gay person, I think with a lot of coming out, you plan it, you write it, you script it. You, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like you, for years you're thinking about how you're going to do it. It sounds like with you, this just exploded. It did. It completely... I mean, I had a complete system failure. You know, I had... My dysphoria <clears throat> used to manifest in a really intense couple of days out of every month of... Like, you know, it felt like I was walking around in one of those old school Mark IV deep sea diving suits. Right. You know, um, because I was trying so hard to hold on to myself because I felt like I felt like I was going to fly apart. The image I had was like being inside of my own body called the spaceship. Right. And holding on to the panels of the bulkhead inside because they're going to fly out of my hands and I'm going to be cast into the abyss of deep space. Never be seen again. Wow. And you're doing a high-pressure job, and you're really, like... Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, you know, if you, if, if... <laughs> to a trans person's credit, we all have had that, have that story, and we, you had never, no one would have any idea that we're going through that. And yeah. we're high-functioning. Yeah. You know, we're surgeons, we're engineers, we're, you know, Navy SEALs, we're all these things. We do all this, and you didn't know. Yeah. That, that's what we were dealing with. So that's why we're so good is because we've become so good at compartmentalizing. We can put it all together. In my case, until it flew apart. Yeah. And it really did just melt down one time. And I, you know, um, just that basically came to at the foot of the bed with Marcy's in bed. It's still five o'clock in the morning. And I've got two cups of coffee in my hand. I've made them somehow. Right. Don't remember doing that. And it all just came out at that point. Wow. And that was a, a complete system failure because I had no intention of doing that. Right. I'm not going to blow up my career and my marriage and 
all my life. Shit. Yeah, all of it. And yet I'm doing it. And here yeah. it is. And it's flying out of my mouth. So that's why I say explosion. It's a great word. Right. No, it feels yeah. like what you're describing. Yeah. You write about being the perfect husband. Uh-huh. That, that before the transition, a lot of people look at you and say, now that's the perfect husband. Well, and Mars would always, I mean, I've had, you know, can't tell you how many times that I'm holding court because... Marcy's called me and said, you've got to come over and talk to these women. And I'll go in. There'll be five women. And they all have these questions about their boyfriends. And I have to sit down and play Dr. Ruth and go, yeah, he's not into you. Yeah, you know, right. oh, did he said that? Yeah, you know, we'll never see him again. You know, right. like, how do you know all this? I mean, well, because I was raised with them. I know that they're, they're pretty simple creatures. Right. <laughs> not that complicated. So well, one thing you also wrote about is that after you transitioned, people would look at the, the husband you were and said, oh, well, we knew that he couldn't be that perfect. That was it. That was, that was something of, that he was too nice or too perfect or, yeah. yeah. In other words, they chalked up your excellence as a husband exactly. to, to, to the fact that there was this other thing going on. Exactly. That, you know, because I was, I had invented this dude out of whole cloth. Right. That somehow that, that was it. Right. Know? So they don't have to live up to that because that wasn't even... That was my brother-in-law who said that. <laughs> and I was like, Daddy, you're killing me. I, I want your daughters, if they have husbands, right. who knows, uh, the times, you know, but I want them to have real good men, not yeah. just, you know. Right. Not, not you because you don't want us to live up to the bar. And that's so interesting. I think there must be a, a million little things that are a little surprising or different or just dynamics that shift or something that you observe when you're uh, going through that process. Oh, completely. I mean, like, you know, I, I've always ran with a posse of guys. Right. And um, one of them is the guys that um, I uh, went to college with and studied television with. And we're all still pretty tight because most of us are still in the biz. Yeah. And first of all, <laughs> they all talk about me now without me being a part of those conversations. So they are already cutting me out of those conversations subtly. It wasn't it wasn't intentionally. It's like, right. well, we just didn't think you're into hearing that. Right. And no, I don't want to talk about dick jokes anymore. Right. You know, but I never liked it before, but right. I for sure don't like it. So, but it is kind of manifesting that that, and they're also really protective of my modesty. They're like, you know, they don't say all the shitty things around me. Or they don't are... talk like they would normally talk. Yeah. And the lock, locker room talk, as exactly. it were. Yeah. I'm, I've been... Kicked out of the locker room for Interesting. sure. Yeah. I do you know who Jen Richards is? Yes. Yeah. I interviewed her for this podcast and um Love her by the She's way. dynamite. And I asked her what surprised her about what was something you didn't expect about about after. And she said the catcalling. Like the that that like that constant like she didn't expect it to be that that much. Right. And make her feel that like Oh my! Like unsafe, or you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. how relentless it would be. Um, what's what surprised you? What's different than you thought it would be? For for me, it's. Oh, this is going to sound weird. Let me see if I can stick the landing on this. Because I had craved sisterhood, real sisterhood, all my life. I'm surprised at how good it really feels. That's amazing. Um, I've had incredible acceptance by the women that I um, had uh, had held as role models. Yeah. Um, now we have really deep friendships, but it's really sisterhood. Right. And not and, just with your biological sisters. Yeah. Which, which by the way, my biological sisters are like crazy off the hook, 
better than they'd have ever been. Like, yeah. You know, but I knew, especially knew Lib would be there. It's right. kind of the same faith that I had in Mars. Right. Mars, Mars was always blown away. She's like, you had more faith in me than I did. I'm like, I know us. Right. I did. I never thought that Marcy would not have, a, would not eventually come to where she was. Right. Got to. Um, I did know she was going to have a little bit of a weird experience right. with watching me put on lipstick. But I have a couple of really deep friendships, sisterhoods now, and they have all said, you know, what's crazy is, um, I always liked you, um, you know, before, but I love you now. Um. And I love what we have. And it, it, we can talk about really virtually everything. Right. Um, I feel like that because once you've shared something so personal or they've witnessed it, it feels like talking about their problem. Like, like it just feels like people have a license. By you being who you are, it gives other people a license to be who they are, yeah. warts and all. Yeah, very true. I think that's interesting. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess I was surprised at how good that actually felt that's having awesome. had it. You know, I was like, oh, my God, it's even better than I thought. That's really, really cool. Yeah. All right. Tell us about the event that you have coming up in uh, in Los Angeles. I'm so excited about this. Well, it's got a story to it. So how weird. I'm thinking about it. I said I told a story to it. It's so good. <laughs> um, so um, I, you know, was in the process of, of getting ready to publish the book and became friends with Chandra Gilbert. And Chandra is uh, the executive chef and the creator of Gracias Madre. Which is the more famous vegan the restaurant. The vegan Mexican restaurant. Yeah. Yes, I've been there. Yes. And um, he's at a place now where he's able to step away right. from the biz um, and go off and do other things. And so I said to him, hey, you know, could I get an endorsement for my cookbook? And he said, sure. And how do you, how do you know him? I met him through um, – he's his girlfriend, Suwan, is really good friends with a couple that I do a lot of um, speaking with. Right. Um, and um, – and that couple is going to come back into the story. So nice. Just hang on. Okay. <laughs> Previously on. Right. Um, so uh, Chandra um, said, yeah, uh, I'd love to give you an endorsement. Well, I'm getting closer to actually time to print the book. Right. And I've got no endorsement. Right. So I called Chandra and I go, hey, you know, yeah. you said I could have this. Just touching base. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> I made those calls. <laughs> right. And, and he goes, remember that thing that I sort of don't really need, but I really need it. <laughs> This is a real endorsement of a real fucking right. chef, you know. Yeah, but it's you know, it's whatever you like. I oh yeah. god, I've made those calls so many times. Yeah. So luckily, he's a dear friend. So yeah. He goes, yeah. Uh, I've been thinking about it, and here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna have a pop up event, and I'm gonna cook your Christmas menu, and we'll sell a bunch of tickets, and every ticket will be that they get a copy of your book. And a big sit-down meal um, uh, from you know from your cooking, and I'll bring in the, the cooking posse, and, and we'll get it done. I'm like, <laughs> I'm just hoping for a couple lines. <laughs> that's all I wanted. I a blurb on my book. I wanted, that's all I wanted. Wow. And then like I was blown away. That's so, amazing. Yeah. So I was like, oh, 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 black black and tap axe. You know? Yeah. <laughs> seriously? Oh yeah. Seriously, we're gonna do this. I'm like, okay. Wow. So then I um, was on a, a friend of mine's. Um, has a uh, public access TV show. Right. And also on there was a good friend of mine, um, uh, Abdullah Hall, Abi Hall, is the um, artistic director for the Transgender Chorus of LA. Oh, right on. And, uh, and I said, and we both know Chandra. And so I said, oh, 
Abby, guess what? Guess what? So I tell Abby what's going on, what Chandra said, and he goes, oh, well, then we're going to have the trans chorus sing Christmas carols. I'm like, what? Right. Maybe the Goodyear Blimp can come next. <laughs> like, this is coming together so amazingly. <laughs> yeah, totally. So then I told my the original couple that I said, come back into the picture. Um, Elisa Barrett is um, the um, director of the Western Justice Center, which is, I guess, since the 20s, kind of like the Southern Poverty Law Center. Oh, nice. And that they are a social justice nonprofit. And um, it was started by a bunch of judges and attorneys in Los Angeles here to do the same thing, fight for social justice. Right. And one of the things they have in order to help them, you know, continue the nonprofit, make money for them, is they have a mansion called the Maxwell House in Pasadena. And so Elisa said, well, you should have it here. I'm like, what? <laughs> God. <laughs> Talk so, about everything coming together. Yeah. So. And so anyone can go. It's anyone just a donation. Exactly. Uh, how much, like, how much ballpark does it cost? It's $75. Okay. This is where we're starting the donation. Yeah. You can donate more. Um, if you can't come, but you still want to donate and you want to make it a scholarship for someone who that wouldn't have $75 to donate right. to the cause, but all the proceeds go to the Trans Chorus and to the Western Justice Center. I'm even donating all my um, royalties from the books that I sell that night. Fantastic. I'm putting in there. So, yeah, we're just going to do it up right. Oh, sounds amazing. Yeah. It sounds like I want to go to it. I'm going really, to figure this out and hopefully I can make it. It's the last proud. Saturday before Christmas. Yeah. It's that last time that you can do something fun and weird without pissing off your family. Right. Just because, you know, <laughs> Christmas is on Wednesday. Right, so exactly. Time, you know? Let me look at my notes and see what else, if there's anything I wrote down. That probably makes no sense. You've celebrated Christmas in hotel rooms and made it, and made it work. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, um, for a lot of years, Marsh and I um, were, and still are involved, but with a nonprofit that would have, uh, was doing a bunch of events in, in the California area at Christmas time. Right. And so we were part of the, the video team. That was, it was an international video team. It was a phenomenal time. And we would handle the recording and also broadcasting of these events. And we would, you know, the, the tour would start like in October in Northern California, would end up in Palm Springs, stopping all the stops along the way. And we were always like setting up multi-camera right. and satellite trucks and all that. And we invariably, for five years in a row, we would be in a hotel room on Christmas. Which was bizarre because Christmas was so sacred to Mars and I yeah. that, you know, I couldn't let it go. So two things that would always happen. A, we would always bring our Christmas ornaments with us. Right. It was just part of the road. And part of the gear. And they were stacked in there with all the cameras and all the grips knew what that box was. Right. We were going to set up the Christmas tree once we got to whatever hotel we were in. And then in our hotel room, I would always make a dish from ours called apple chowder. Right. You talk about it in the book. Yeah. And you could make it in a hotel room. Yeah, because it's in a slow cooker. So yeah. So they can always just bring the slow cooker and make it overnight, and it's all ready in the next morning. Fantastic. Yeah. I love that. Um, I also wrote this down, and maybe uh, you'll remember what it is. You wrote, wrote about um, it being still awkward to act as a woman in her arms. You were talking about Marcy. Yeah. You know, it, um, that's kind of goes back to what you know when you were saying what is um the thing that surprised you that's also i should have said that also that did surprise me was you want so badly to be who you are yeah that's one thing that's an, an intellectual thought it becomes that because that's all you have right right um so much of of how i was able to cope with my dysphoria was to 
give myself a five minute or 10 minute vacation in my head about what it would be like in my next lifetime when I was able to live as who I really am. Right. Um, so you have that, that holy grail, that North Star, that thing that you're always reaching for, that star that you're wishing on. Well, then when you finally get it, like I had only ever been the husband in Marcy's arms. Right. You, you thought you were going to have to wait till your next lifetime. Yeah. And you, and you, it turns out you didn't. It, well, it, and I had, we had started our intimacy off on that foot. Right. So I just played that role. And I don't want to make it sound like I was, you know, when, when you are physical with someone for that long, you have your comfortable spots that you, I dance here, you do there, you do this, I do that. Right. And, and it's, it's how not, your bodies come together. It's how your bodies come together. That's the best way of saying it. And I was the one who was now, you know, overthinking it. Like, right. is this, you know, how would this behavior be? What would I want it to be? If you were truly free, what would it have been? Um, because for so much of our intimacy, it was what would happen after we made love. That, right. You know, that, you know, that place of sanctuary right. that became after all the physical need got met, that, right. you know, I, I, we called it going over the falls. Right. Once we would go over the falls in each other's arms, you know, we don't know if we hit the ground or the water or what happened. It's right. just we're, we're in our space. So the first parts of that was all really like what would being a woman in her arms be? Yeah. Because it's her arms. Right. And she had never been in any kind of a lesbian relationship. Right. So she, you know, and my skin is getting softer. Everything's changing right. that way, you know. And she's digging it. And she's not exactly touching me the same way. And I know that that's she's never touched me that way. So I'm like electrified in that, you know, for a moment taken out of it going, oh my right. God, she's touching me in a weird... So I don't know how to respond, which is bullshit. You know, it's like you could, you don't use your head in sex, you right. know? or at least I didn't. You know, so now I am, and I'm having to. It's like riding a bicycle, and your feet are off the pedals. You know, you're like trying to get them back on. Right. You know? um, so I had to kind of really look at what I was doing and what I thought I needed to be doing, and why am I thinking here when I shouldn't be thinking? Right. Um, and get back to a place where we did, and we, you know. Because some of the parts are different, you know. Right. So we had to change what our intimacy was going to be, and we found it. You found your way. Yeah, yeah. It's it's great that you write about that because I think it will probably help a lot of people uh, who are in similar situations. Okay, just going through my notes here, I wrote down you were a football star as a youth. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, were you like popular and like? Well, I, you know, um, like, what position did you play? I was a wide receiver. Nice. Yeah. Um, like most awkward teens, uh, I was so, the story the was really intense during high school. Yeah, I can um, imagine. But our high school football team was even more intense. Um, we had to run the cross country track with the cross country, the cross country, it's not a track, it's a path. Or right. Whatever. Wherever they were running. Right. Um, and beat the last guy across, or we had to immediately just keep running and run it again. Our coaches were so into conditioning, and yeah. it was really, it may have been what also like was so intense it saved me, because it was either that or sculpting in high school, um, or I wouldn't have made it. 
sculpting, meaning yeah, yeah, you're the, a sculptor, the dragon. Wow, that's what giving you something to focus on. Yeah, uh, yeah. real intense focus and yeah. art has always been like you know. And my mentor Gerhardt, um, yeah. he just he you know kicked my ass from the moment I walked into high school to the moment I left, and right. continued all to my life. And he he passed away. Uh, Two weeks before Marcy did. Oh my gosh! Yeah, so it was like my mentor, Mars, and my godmother. All yeah, all in a row. Yeah, but Sorry. Uh, but but yeah, thank you. Um, but he he was responsible for bringing me through. Yeah. When was the first time you felt the dysphoria? When was the first time you remember it? Or was it something that was always just there? It was just always there. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Probably. Well, I remember. Uh, in second grade, trying to do something about it, and I, and that was cross-dressing. You know, it was like, mm -hmm. but I had a, a big elaborate plan to pull it off. Yeah, um, because what I knew was never to tell anybody. Right. I mean, my TED talk. Like, so I, it was. It was not like I wonder what will happen. I knew what would happen. I would right. get physically hit. So, right. It was going to be bad. Yeah, it was going to be real bad. So it had this to have this elaborate plan. Uh, to it, um, and sometimes that elaborate planning would give me a little bit of relief, but because right. it was required tense, intense focus. But it was just the worst. I mean, I stopped cross dressing in high school because taking it off was like being skinned alive. Oh my god! So I was like, I can't put myself. Through you can't that go anymore. through the, the the putting it on because the taking it off is too hard. Exactly. Oh, and too painful. But you would. Find ways and times and secret place to do it. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. All right. You picked some questions from my observation deck. Mm -hmm. Any memorable pranks you've played or endured? Uh, played. So when I, um, I was also kind of the ringleader yeah. um, in high school for um, a bunch of my friends. And we, our school was one long hallway. And because uh, it was a mountain school. So we had to have an indoor, you know, basically because we'd be freezing in the snow. Right. Um, and so we, one Halloween, I had a friend of mine who was a magician, and he a professional magician, and he had a master set of keys that got us into the school, and another friend who was working for a contractor, so he had not only concrete, but he had calcium chloride. Which oh my was, God, I'm scared of where this <laughs> is going. It was, it's a quick set for, yeah. this, for the, um, this, the concrete. We built a uh, eight foot high, twenty feet long, cinder block wall to divide the the hallway in half, and um, just for fun, for on Halloween. Oh my gosh! Yeah, in fact, we came in the next day. Uh, we got there early, which was a <laughs> total like a tell, like, right? yeah, 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 yeah. not the smartest move we did. Yeah, and um, the janitor team were taking sledgehammers to it. They were they were trying to get it down before anybody got to school that day because they didn't want us to get any props for doing it, but it was too late. Right. It was still like, you know, five center blocks high. You're just like, yeah, I know what let's do. Let's put a wall in the middle of the hall. <laughs> and then getting it out of there must not have been easy. Yeah, they were um, they were carting it all out. Yeah, did you get in trouble for it? Did you? No, high? we became famous. Yeah. yeah. In fact, we, uh, we established a club on campus. <laughs> what was it called? The Benevolent Brothers of the Brick Wall. The Benevolent Brotherhood of the Brick Wall. Yeah. How many members? Twenty. Twenty. Oh yeah. So you could be in it if you, even if you didn't take part in that prank. Well, because the next year we did it again. <laughs> <laughs> I thought there were twenty. 
And there was, the whole club was built around this one prank. Yeah. There were no other duties or anything. No, but we, you know, we were we were a legit club. So we yeah. had like a, you know, we raised money for Toys for Tots. So All right, that's yeah, cool. Yeah, we're legit. I love that. <laughs> that feels like it should be a movie or something. Um, what TV program would your parents not let you watch? Well, I picked that one because it wasn't that they wouldn't let me watch a particular program because right. I couldn't watch something. But they wouldn't let me read Jaws. The book. Right. Because if, if the, in the book, there's this whole love affair that goes on between Brody and, um, Keith Brody and his wife. The wife. And, yeah. and, um, Hooper. Right. So, um, but. So it was more about the affair than the shark eating people. Well, and the, you know, the sitting on the finger, uh, father driving is what my mom didn't want me. Oh, I And see. she actually said that. And I want you to read about this woman sitting on this man's finger. And I'm like, well, you just what? gave it away. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Well, and then <laughs> we had, you know, it was a, like a mountain um, yeah. library because I was up in Lake Arrowhead Crestline area. Yeah. It was actually in Crestline. And so I had to renew my mom's library book for her. So, of course, I'm reading as I'm walking. Right. <laughs> right. And I went right to that finger, part. Finger, finger, finger. <laughs> wow. That's hilarious. Um, what was on your lunchbox as a kid, and how did you feel about it? Well, okay, so I had several lunchboxes, but the last lunchbox I had I carried as a senior in high school. You took a lunchbox as a uh, senior? Yeah, yeah, we could do everything. You could right? get away with that That's stuff, right. being uncool, because the brick wall made you so cool. That was so cool. That's right. That's amazing. But I had pigs in space. I had the Muppets pigs, pigs in, in space. space. Yeah. As a senior. Yeah. Cute. I rocked that. I know. But I had Snoopy most of. I had variations on Snoopy. Yeah. And because uh, I just love peanuts. And I peanuts is the them. best. Yeah. And when I think about it, it's so melancholy in a way. It's so grown up. Completely. But as kids, we liked it. Yeah. It's interesting. Anyway, Snoopy was cool though. Yeah. Uh, when was the time you gave into peer pressure? Ah, well, that was the experience I talk about in the TED Talk. Um, you know, we were all going, um, we were as a friend of mine's birthday, and he was, you know, it's 10-year-old or 13-year-old boys, and so it was all, you know, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and and um, so I went along because we are going to do it, because right? yeah. it's in his birthday, but, you know, the the adrenaline is starting to punch up and everybody's talking about what they would do if they, we had a girl here right now. Right. And then suddenly I was a girl. I mean, his name was Frank. Frankie pushed me up against this tree and I had my hands in my jacket. Right. And he just opened my jacket. Right. And, and my shirt at the same time. I, I don't think he intended to get my shirt in there. Yeah. But it like suddenly buttons are flying and now he's got his hands... On my chest, pawing at me, with, but over his shoulder, doing play-by-play to the guys about how what he would do to a woman. Right, and, and he was I, just using you as the body, as the to body demonstrate. To do it. Yeah, and, and so I'm like, and this must goodness. have been such a mindfuck. It was a complete mindfuck because oh part God. of me was like, you know, this is not how anything should ever feel. Right, and yet he's seeing me as a girl right now. Even though he's playing, and right. so my mind is going, don't, don't buy, don't lean into this. It's one. Not That's real. not what's going on right yeah. now. But yeah, so it was, it really, wow, messed with my head. And that that went on for a little while. Yeah, and because now the guys are laughing and, and yeah. all that, and now I can't like 
pull away because I'll look like I got it. I was too into it. Right. You know, which I was not into it, but I right. was like too busy. This is meaningless. We're just having fun. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. So it was, yeah, it was nasty. That's intense. Kids. Wow. All right. Yeah. What article of clothing or accessory have you gotten the most comments on? This ring. The snake ring. Like, Ooh, that's a cool snake ring. Yeah. And What's the story? It was Marcy's. Um, and um, what's so bizarre is like, these are Marcy's, you know, wedding ring. Like, I gave this to her on our wedding day. She gave this to me on our wedding day. And nice. then she passed away right before our 30th anniversary. So we were going to have a I do still I do still. I love that. That was her words. So she gave me this so I would have a woman's diamond ring, and I gave her this so she would have another woman's diamond ring to match it. And so that's a powerful set. Right. And yet this snake ring gets all of the compliments. Well, a snake, a snakes are... People are scared of snakes. Well, they always go, oh my god, that's the coolest ring ever. And people like literally... But it feels, it feels like if you told me there was a curse on it, and if you <laughs> held it up, I would believe it. Yeah, but yeah. that's... A, and, and that, but that ring is totally Mars. Yeah. Like she... That... that she was the one who picked that out. We bought it for her birthday, and um, yeah, yeah, that was uh, that. If she, if there was an article of clothing that she would want, that would be the one. She probably could have wanted that for her wedding band. Right there, you go. <laughs> it's perfect. Um, you write in the book about a new day in our world. I think near the end, I think, or maybe talking about in terms of uh, visibility and acceptance. Or do you feel like there's a moment going on? Or is it just me objectively seeing some TV shows or something? No, I think there is. I mean, I think, you know, because people like my brother-in-law um, had their hearts touched, they do sometimes the greatest amount of work for us. Right. Because he's the one having that conversation in the locker rooms that he's in. Right, and you're not, that you're not privy to. Yeah, and, and saying, no, that's not cool. Yeah, you know, we're not we're not doing this cool. So I do think so. I think, you know, um, the when Marcia and I were married, we were married by a rabbi. Yeah. Since neither of us was Jewish, he was able to perform the ceremony, and he was he was a great he is a great man. I right. actually spoke to him just recently, but he used to have this phrase: "The brighter the light, the darker the shadow." I just looked at that on my notes. Right <laughs> That's so spooky. Yeah. So. Yes, I mean, we have to have the brighter light of a new day happening because some of the shadows are so flipping dark. Right. It's crazy. But, but you know, it, it is about visibility. It, I mean, I think of all the tools in the LGBTQ toolbox that we've used for social justice, our visibility has the one consistent one that we can all do. Right. You know, Um it was it was insane at the beginning of the AIDS outbreak that you know they had to a lot of really prominent gay men were outed in order to show that even they we're everywhere were right exactly and that's I'm not advocating that right <laughs> you know, it still has to be personal agency because that's really what we're fighting for at the end of the day yeah that's that is the consistent piece of all of our DNA no matter what stripe of the rainbow flag you are um, is that we we fight for each other's agency right you, you have the agency to be you I have the agency to be me and the fact that we have to fight for that we have to push down the bile in our throats. <laughs> Right. That shouldn't be a thing that we have to fight for, and yet we do. Right. So I do think 
we are in that new day is right. slowly but just not, it's never going to happen fast and there's always going to be casualties and that's the part that breaks everyone's heart you know yeah. it's like we you know we have we lost 331 people this year to trans violence you know i see the statistics and i try to understand what goes through somebody's mind that they do that what what's getting brought up in them that they can't and I, I know the, um, it's just the yeah the what's the psychology of it why is that where that's going yeah i i mean <clears throat> you know there was a lot and it was said even more so at the beginning of the gay liberation which was right. <laughs> really a, a flag in the sand of more than anything or a line in the sand but you know, it was that you were fighting down latent homosexual tendencies with a vengeance. You right. saw in the people that were living freely around you that you couldn't do that. And so that person would... They have to pay kill. for it. Kill. Yes. Right? There's a... The next spin of that is I don't think that that's true of trans people per se. But the thing about a trans person is that we have to stand up against all odds, including right. biology. Right. We have to be so sure of who we are that even the data of that's available to us, we have to counter that. Right. You know? And so the fact that we can do that and we do that with strength and with grace, other people are intimidated by that. I still don't see how that would equal violence. Right. I mean, Why does I, I it lead to that? that? Yeah, no, 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 no. It, there is a weird thing that, that, that the strains in the cis community believe they have a right this no no this is the one place i can have a right to discriminate against someone it's like that seems to be like some people's divine right they believe they have right that. they're holding on to so it so they're gonna like but this is the place we can do it like we right. can't do it to the gays anymore yeah we certainly mm -hmm. can't do it to other races yeah. anymore yeah. but we can but we still can do it to trans people because they're weird right you know and so that's the only thing i can think of you know it's like i've had people who are just so just like you know in the conversations that we have in the, the advocacy work that we do i've had what what people would say are well mean well-intentioned people come up to me and say well we're just gonna have to agree to disagree i'm like about me <laughs> yeah <that's, laughs> i don't mean to laugh but it's just so no, it's it's, it's my life you yeah. know it's who i am yeah you how do you get a vote in someone else's life <laughs> you, you don't, don't. You don't get a vote. You don't. You don't get a vote. But yet yeah. these people believe that they really do. You know? Yeah. Um, and they need you to know that. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. So I don't... I, I, I'm not sure why it equates violence. Yeah. Um, except that it can rattle. I guess we rattle some sort of cord in the cerebral cortex that is the one that makes someone... Something like around some, masculinity or something around something. Survival or... Yeah. You know, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's curious. Do you feel courageous? Do I feel courageous? Uh, no. That's a phrase that gets Because I think I, when, I, when I try to think about the experience and what it might be like, I see courage. And, but I'm wondering if it ever feels like courage or do, if it just feels like I have to do this. I have to be who I am. Yeah. I, I, it's even more so of like um, I just have to live. And this is the stuff that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but the, that gets said to us many yeah. times. Like, oh my God, thanks for living. You're so brave. Yeah. Like, yeah. honey, I don't have a choice. You know? Yeah, it doesn't feel like <laughs> that word when, yeah. you're, when you're in I think brave is like when you know you have to walk out at night 
down walk down the street and go, man, I don't have the upper body strength I used to have. <laughs> and uh, you know, I mean, I've done some really stupid things after transition that because part of me was like not raised. You know, I was raised with wolves, so I don't think about my personal right. safety. I've gotten into cars with men that I should have never had no business doing. Right. I tell my girlfriends, they're like, oh, no. What are you doing? Oh, yeah, yeah, your yeah. mom would kill you if you did that. You know, it's like, yeah. I don't have that. So right. that's a place where that's not courage. That's stupidity. But, you right. know, but yeah, we have to, there are times where you have to summon courage. Right. Um, you know, the first baby steps of transition, when you're like walking out of the house for the first time going, man, I hope my eyeliner's straight. Right. You know, because it's a harsh world. Yeah. You know? I was doing a, um, a talk at Kaiser one time, and on this day we knew we were going to be talking to the physicians. Right. Of all, the, we talked to everybody at Kaiser, from the janitors to the parking attendants to the right. scrub nurses to the to the surgeons to the you know plastic surgeons. You name it, we were doing it. But the physicians are the ones in Kaiser who have an actual caseload of patients they have their practice right? right and they don't always get to these meetings because they're busy but once a month they have their their get together that's something that they do and so we were going to be there and do the talk and on this day i was alone i was going to be the only trans person talking to them right just you and them right and it was march so you know march here in la can be a little bit cold and i had on a really cute dress right and um but it was you know short sleeves and i was like that's too cold today so i put on a white sweater suddenly my red dress and white sweater black shoes aren't working anymore so i kick off the black shoes and i put on a pair of white heels that i have and i start to go out the door and marcy goes where the hell are you going i go i'm going to kaiser she goes not dressed like that you are and i'm like what's wrong with the way i'm dressed she goes you know what you just do you like I don't know what that means, but whatever. <laughs> so, like, okay, now I'm yeah, really no. feeling good about this. <laughs> right. So, I go there and I'm talking, and there's this one physician, and you can tell that she's been waiting for this monthly meeting because she's wearing a little bit more makeup and a little bit more perfume than normal. Right. She's here to see her peers. Right. right. She doesn't know that we're going to have this meeting, but she's here to see her peers. And she's got the day off. So, right. she's looking sweet. Right. right. She's got her, the, her favorite this and her favorite that. She, you can tell she's feeling good, and she's Put it a little bit more extra going on. Yeah, pull it all. And she's the bell of the ball too. Right. All the other physicians are looking at her. Right. So she's enjoying that. And you're picking up on. I'm picking up on all this as I'm talking because the whole time I'm talking, she's got her arms folded while I'm talking, and looking at me that way. And I was talking about you know how someone asked me what are some of the changes, and I said, well, you know, for the longest time, I would pretend that. Uh, pink was not my favorite color. I would say, oh, pink is for girls, right? right. And I would I never wear it. Pink can't be my favorite color. <clears throat> right, so I wouldn't wear it, you know, and I would always point that out. Now, I mean, if, if, if it ain't pink, I'm probably not wearing it. Right. right. I'm so, I'm all in pink. Right. So I'm saying this, and so it came time for questions and answers, and she goes, yeah, I got a question. I said, yeah? She goes, you talk about pink, like, you know, pink is for girls. Like, do you really think that that's what a woman is all about? Like, the color she wears? I go, no. No, it's not. I think, but it, but but what we wear as women, particularly in professional environment, is a very crucial decision when you walk out the door. We're being judged by other women. We're being judged. Are we professional enough? We have higher standards that we have to handle in a professional environment. Dudes can show up in flip flops. We better be in a dress. Right. We're sending a message, yeah. whether we like it or not. And so we, this choice matters. Exactly. And you and we have to think about this stuff when you're walking out there, because why do I want to invite a whole bunch of other bullshit? Like, right. for example, you, man. 
you've been staring at me this whole time with your arms folded. I did. (gasps) And she goes, and I said, you know what? You're absolutely right. I tell you a story. I was getting dressed today, had on this cute red dress, black shoes. Once I put on the white sweater, the black shoes aren't working anymore, so I put on the white shoes. And guess what? You can't keep your eyes off of my white shoes because you know it ain't after uh, Memorial Day. Right. And she goes, you know, she backed up like I could. I was like right. You, can't, you were right. And and she goes, "You're right." I go, "So you're judging my shoes this whole time? Like you, poor girl, you don't know we're not supposed to wear white after Memorial Day. It was the only thing that matched my sweater. And now you can't. You haven't listened to a thing I've said because all you've been doing is looking at my shoes. From that point on, she was my girlfriend. That's amazing. Yeah. So you know it, that was so ballsy <laughs> of you to confront her like that. Right? Good for you. Well, but, but part of it is like it has to be. You know what I mean? In that environment, well, we ha- sometimes we have to shake them. Sometimes we have to open their hearts. But we yeah. need them to know that the, the next person who's coming in the door might not know how to dress. Right. And is, but still deserves respect. Do you think having your experience in life makes you more attuned to those little moments of picking up on her body language and knowing? It just feels like a certain heightened radar of... Being able to read a room. Yeah, oh, totally. Well, and, and I pride myself because I'm a director and a writer. I mean, right. those are the, that's the reason why I got in the business in the yeah. first place. And truly speaking, I write because I'm planning on directing it, so I need to have a good roadmap right. of what I'm doing. So directing is all about body language. It's all about inflection and, int- and intonation. And are you carrying through the message in, the, you know, in what the actor's doing? And so, right. yeah, I'm totally tuned to that. Being in reality TV, you have to be able to do that with people who aren't actors, who right. don't have that language. So you have to figure out different ways of saying it. So yeah, I mean, I think I do. But also, as a trans person, we have have heightened radar. I every would room we walk signals. In. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, you need situational uh, awareness. Right. As the army would say. Now, as a gay person, I remember growing up, and there were things that I felt would give me away. Like if I carried my books like this, mm-hmm. and not like this, or mm-hmm. like. I want to sit like this, but I have to sit like this. Like there were things that consciously I would do. Are there similar things? Completely. Like, no, what no. Are they like? Well, the exact same. Look, crossing my legs. Right. The way like, you the way you sit. Yeah, I couldn't wait to cross my legs. Right. Right. But I could never do that. Yeah, it feels dude. so much better. It just feels right. Yeah. But feels you right. can't, or they'll think something. And you know, I, I remember practicing walking because yeah. I needed to walk more like a dude, so because people would read me. Right. And being you just practice like in your house, yeah, yeah, I practice yeah. in front of a mirror, yeah, you know, wow, interesting. Yeah. Um, how can people learn more about um, your stuff, like uh, your books? And you have another book before this, and also Marcy has a book, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, best way is to go to zuzubean.com, zuzubean, z u z u b e a n.com, dot com. Is Zuzu a dog? Zuzu is our Labrador, oh, sweet, yeah, love Zuzu, it. Zuzubean was her nickname. Oh, I love it. Awesome. Yep. So, and that's really the best place. So there you can find links to our books and our videos. And there's also the tour schedule. Right. Because you know, you're going to be in a few other places before LA. Wednesday morning, I leave for Seattle. I'll right. Up, I have two events in Seattle. And then nice. come back from that. And then uh, the 15th, 14th, excuse me, I'll be in Sonoma at the wine, at Martinelli Winery there doing a, a, an event there. Nice. And then come home for Christmas and do the Christmas event with Sandra. That sounds amazing. I really want to try to come to that. Um, what's your dream gig? Well, I um, 
I wrote uh, with a dear friend of mine uh, the a, a one hour drama based on my first book, Getting Back to Me. Right, and has Alexander Billings attached to play. She's amazing, right? And she sings good. Oh my god! Well, yeah, yeah. If I make it a musical, she'll probably really dig it. But <laughs> exactly. Um, so my dream gig is, you know, because I'm a creator. It's like my dream gig is the next one that someone's gonna make pay me to do. Right. You know, but I really, I, I mean, my dream gig is to write it and and direct it and produce it. Yeah. Um, I love the medium of television. I love episodic television. It's the you know, right now it's better than it's ever been. Right. Peak TV. Yep. It is really awesome. Um, and, you know, I I like the ability in that long form to really get into a story. Um, so that's kind of my dream one right there. But um, I'm also digging, like, the cooking that I'm doing. Yeah. You know, out in the world with people. Um, and who knows? Maybe it'll turn into a cooking show. I don't know. That'd be awesome. Like Trisha's Country Kitchen, but with you <laughs> doing your thing. Um, okay, this is the final question. This book is quite an odyssey. You kind of go on a journey, and between your two books and your and your story, and also losing your your partner, what do you think might be the lesson around your life, or something that people take away from what you've experienced, or, or is there something that that you've learned? Uh, yeah, um, you really, there really is love. There, love really is there, and it's as much as what you put into it. Yeah. You know, you have to love to receive love. Yeah. Um, and that makes it sound, but that sounds... No, but it's on every page. Yeah. I read it. Like, it, you feel it. It made me feel like, oh, I maybe could meet somebody like that. You know, that's what I was okay, feeling good. as I was reading. Yeah, I probably won't. <laughs> no, I, but I could. Do you know what I mean? Well, good. well but you probably will. I yeah, mean, no, no, it's yeah. great. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 yeah, well, that's very gratifying. Yeah, no, it comes through on every page. I guess that's it. And yeah. it's earned. It's not um, like a TV movie. It's like, you know, the lived experience of... The work of it, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I guess that's what I, yeah, love, love first, and then the love will be there for you, you know. I mean, yeah. there's so it's hard because, especially from the trans experience, you know, we do get to it, especially if you put it off <laughs> or, or think you're going to be able to put it off forever and it doesn't happen that way, right? But later, we are once we do come out. Uh, it, we're coming out, and we're like, Jesus Christ, I've done this for everybody. Like, I have friends of mine that are like. You know, they've got a 30-year marriage. They've got four kids. They Everybody's been put through school. And they're like, now it's time for me. And everybody's like, well, really? I mean, because I still have, like, this for you to do. You know, can you stay in your old life long enough to do this last thing for me? And it's like, what, when do I get to have mine? Right. You know? So there is that sense of... Uh, not Entitlement's not the right word. It's like, no, I'm going to take this for myself. But you still can't... That's giving in. You know, you got to give into that. You can't, you can't give into that impulse and continue because where you get in your life is because of love. Right. So you can't abandon it. Right. You know, just because you, you can't say it's all about me now. Yeah, you can't. You have to find a way to do both, to yeah. do both tracks. Yeah. And Mars taught me that, you know, I yeah. mean, um, I needed to slow down on some things and there's some other things I needed to be strong on. You know, I needed to say like, uh, our, our mantra was like, is this joyful right now? Because my transition 
should be joyful. So right. if it's not, we're both doing something wrong here. And right. it's both of us. Right. You know, and she'd be like, yeah, but I'm just not feeling it right now. I mean, does it always have to be about lipstick? I'm like, for right now, fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah. I haven't been able to wear it. So I'm all, and she hated that because she couldn't keep lipstick on her, on her, <laughs> right. like vanish. Her superpower was getting rid of lipstick. Mine was keeping it. <laughs> right. Interesting. Maybe she was just jealous of your lipstick game. Yeah, it could be it. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so fun. All right. It's been so fun talking to you. Oh my God. Um, I love the cookies and Yay. I loved our conversation and yep. I can't wait to dive into some of these recipes. I don't cook, but um, for the past two Thanksgivings, I was assigned something and I was like, I'm going to learn how to make the thing I was assigned and just act like, of course I can make that. So last year I was assigned stuffing and I made good stuffing. And this year I was assigned cookies and I made good cookies. And nice. so, yeah, once a year I will cook something. <laughs> uh, but awesome. Congrats on the book and thank everything you. you got going on. Oh. And um, this has been great. Thank Thanks. You, yes, thank you. Bye. Thanks again to Scotty Jeanette Madden for that uh, wonderful conversation and the cookies. I had a terrific time. So to learn more about everything that she's up to, you can go to zuzubean.com. That's Z-U-Z-U-B-E-A-N.com. Okay, so this happened. Um, this is a cautionary tale that I'm going to share with you today. Um, last Thursday, so a week ago today, I guess, as I'm recording this, um, we were expecting our games to arrive Um from the uh, manufacturer, which was a big deal. And during the middle of it, uh, as we were waiting for the truck to come, I got a phone call telling me that my power was going to be shut off in a half hour. It was the the DWP, the Department of Water and Power, and that the power was going to be shut off in a half hour. And they, they said, um, because I guess my bill payments didn't go through. But then I went to my banking records online and I said, no, it looks like I paid. And they're like, well, it must be a mistake on our end, but we can't um, fix that mistake until, you know, you pay and then we'll credit you or whatever. And I didn't, they sounded really professional. In fact, he transferred me to his manager, you know, and all of this stuff. Long story short, it was a scam. And they wanted me to go to 7-Eleven and buy these cardboard money orders to, to keep the power from being cut off. Because the technicians were on their way. Um... And it was really messed up, but I was kind of already distracted and like, oh, this is all I need today. So I got as far as um, going to the bank to get money out, uh, and I'm standing in line, and I was starting to think it through, and I was like, well, it doesn't make sense that they wouldn't take a credit card over the phone because everyone wants money, you know, uh, and, and they couldn't stop the turning off of the thing because it was in the computer and it had been red flagged and all this stuff. And I was like, no, this is shady. So, um, I called the, uh, DWP and of course you get a recording and it says, uh, the next available operator, uh, no one will be available for a while. Hide call traffic, maybe call back this afternoon, which I bet really helps these scam people a lot. The fact that you can't actually get through to the real company. Um, and I knew it was shady from the beginning when they called and somebody actually answered. Because I think they had originally left a message uh, saying the power was going to be turned off. Um, so I went, uh, at least on the recording of the DWP, you could check your balance. And so I checked the balance and I had no outstanding balance. My balance was zero. So I tried to call back the scam people at the number they gave me. And it didn't go through. It was like, this number is whatever, whatever. And then a couple of minutes later, 
the guy called me and said, Hey, so what, what's, uh, you know, he, like, what are you doing? I hope you're getting the money. The technicians are coming. And I was like, um, I checked my, my balance with my water company and it's zero and you guys are a scam and I hope you go to jail. Um, and then I hung up and he's like, well, the technicians are coming. I'm like, no, they're not. Um, and the power and water was not turned off. So that's a happy ending. But at one point during the initial call, I was, I was so angry. I was like, well, then tell me what the motherfuck to do. I was like really upset because it felt so unfair and like fucked up and, but it sounded really original, um, um, official. So he goes, well, sir, you don't need to swear, but this is what the situation is or whatever. Anzo, it's okay. Um, so I felt guilty for swearing at him. Like he made me, he chastised me for feeling guilty. And for the rest of the call, I was feeling bad about that. Like this poor guy's just trying to do his job. And here I am swearing at him. So that's what pisses me off the most, that he made me feel bad about being angry. And he was a criminal. Um, but the other thing that struck me about the whole episode is uh, I had paid my bill. They were saying that I hadn't paid my bill and that I needed to do this weird thing with these money orders or whatever. And, the, and I thought it could possibly be too because that's how unfair the world seems and how fucked up everything is. You know, like, of course, it felt like par for the course. For not just my life, but just all, I don't know, that's a very dark place to go. But um, that it didn't seem, the unfairness of it seemed like, well, yeah, that's how everything is. Um, and I wish I had sworn at him more. I wish when he, when, he, when he called me back, I had said, you remember when you told me not to swear at you? Well, eat shit, you fucking motherfucker. I would I would have tried to think of some more. Maybe I would have written it on a post-it. The point is, even having this story to tell is bringing up a lot of emotions. The point is, if somebody calls you and tells you you're, they're going to turn off your power in a half hour if you don't do something, it's a scam. Thank you. That's the public service announcement. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next time on Dennis Anyone. Bye! Bye!